my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes, see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podski Wee Wee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. As you can tell, not going to have a fun one today, unfortunately. Not a lot to talk about, but we do have to get into the ugliness of Friday. So, as I've said previously, and I'll say again probably many times this year and many times in the future, we're just going to rip the Band-Aid off and get into it. Ticats lost 38-12 to to the Montreal Alouettes in their home opener on Friday. It was just an embarrassing performance by this football team. Not a ton of good, a lot of bad. Where do you want to start in this one, Mike? Well, let's start off with the backup quarterback, Matthew Schiltz. He started off really well, I thought. That first drive, he had that long pass to Tim White. And on the second drive, he had another long pass to Tim White. But they both ended in field goals. They couldn't punch the ball in for seven points. And to me, Matthew Schultz is an incredibly frustrating quarterback to watch because he can make those passes down the field. You know, those more difficult passes seem easy. And then he'll miss a five-yard hitch screen to his wide receiver. It's just very frustrating to watch. And I don't, I'm not sure I can get a grasp on how good this guy is. Like, is he, can he be a, le- a legit starter in this league or is he no. a career backup that's very inconsistent? He's a good backup, and I think we've, as we do here in Hamilton, overvalue the backup quarterback. We did it with countless guys. Going back to the Danny Mac days, I remember when he would struggle, and there would be people calling for Timmy Chang or calling for Kevin Mm -hmm. Eakin or calling for – it didn't matter. Quentin Porter was was once thought of, oh, he's going to be better than Casey Printers. And I know Casey Printers stunk when he was here, but Quentin Porter wasn't much better. And when Porter was a starter, everyone wanted Kevin Glenn. And then when Glenn was a starter, everyone wanted Quentin Porter again. And yeah. it just seems like every single season, the backup quarterback, and it's like this in a lot of locations. It's like this across the league. It's like this across football, especially when your team struggles, right? Like the backup quarterback is everyone's favorite player he's because you don't know can he do it can we do it and we've seen some good stuff out of Matthew Schultz we saw some good stuff out of him last year like yeah he hit some of those deep passes you mentioned I wasn't it after the first deep throw to Tim White wasn't the next play like he missed the receipt like I think they ran a screen pass and he misses the really just grounds it into the dirt like two three yards in front of him and it's like he had I think it was the fullback he had him open on a crosser later in the game I'm not sure when and he just overthrows him and he over he overthrew a couple in the end zone. Like he missed Tim White by a good five or six yards. The Terry Godwin, there was a drop in the end zone. I don't th- I think that's more on Godwin than it's on Schiltz, but he did throw it a little far, but Godwin did get his fingers on it. It's just he's got the tools to be a a, a main player, 
but he can't put it all together. And that's why he's in the position that he's in. Like you're going to look at the numbers and go, Oh man, 345 yards. Like that's right. more than Bo threw in the two games combined that he played. But I mean, a lot of those are empty calorie yards. Like this game, there was a lot of turning points in this game, but them getting those two big drives and settling for two field goals is kind of the story. Like if those are touchdowns, we're probably having a much different conversation today, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what did you think of the O-line that was that was a hurting unit going into this game? I mean, I don't think Schultz got sacked a bunch, but the run game no. was Not nothing. Good. Like, James Butler didn't have any holes to run through. And I know that they abandoned the run game pretty, not early, but they're down double digits at halftime as they've been every game this season. So they they abandoned the run game because you, you can't be running the ball when you're down 20-something points. They, it was fine. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that they were good. I wouldn't say they were. I wouldn't blame yeah. the O line for a lot of the problems with this team. But are you? Because I wrote in three down. I'm kind of starting to come around on the idea that there needs to be some coaching changes here. Uh, I don't think Mark Washington's Mark Washington has not been a good defensive coordinator now for a couple of seasons. And I think I we talked about this before. Probably it was probably last season. That his defenses are good when they're playing from ahead, but when they're playing from behind, they just don't work. I, I'm still going to put a lot of the blame on the players, like that pass rush, which, again, I'm sure you want to get into some of this stuff a little bit later, but that pass rush is non-existent. I know they had four sacks in this one, but, man, did it feel like... I don't did know, I feel like they were sending the blitz on most, most of those sacks? Yeah, like they needed to bring that extra pressure, and sometimes yep. they still weren't getting there. And I don't know, maybe I'm just an idiot, but... If you're bringing pressure, which means you're going to have more guys coming at the quarterback than they can block, shouldn't the DBs be up pressing the receiver because you -hmm. know the ball's got to come out quickly? Why are they 8 to 12 yards off and Fajardo's hitting these 9-yard out routes to the wide side of the field that are picking up first downs when they've sent, you know, seven guys with only six? I, I, I just don't understand the scheme, and maybe this is me not being a football coach, but it feels as if there should be more man-to-man, like, in your face, on the line of scrimmage, bump them at the line of scrimmage type defense when you're bringing pressure. It just seems like those would go part and parcel with one another, no? I'm with you. I'm not a coach as well, but that just makes sense. I mean, the, the quarterback makes a quick decision when the blitz is coming to throw, you know, whatever route it is, a quick slant or whatever. And if the DBs aren't up on the receivers, then it's going to be a pretty easy catch and run for a first down. So, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, and offensively, it's it's sort of the same thing. Like, I'm, I don't know what the answer is to fix these issues because I still do think the vast majority of this to me is is a is a player execution problem. Like, the players just aren't doing what they're supposed to. Schultz is missing throws. Guys are dropping passes. You know, stuff like that. But do they need to shake things up here? Because this is we're now going into year three, season three of this team continuing to regress from where they were when all these guys came together in 2019. Mm-hmm. Like I'm getting a little sick and tired of seeing people go well in 20. And I was guilty of this too. Like, and well, they were able to do this in 2019. Well, maybe that was the fluke because they've been sub 500 since then. So I just, I just don't know what the answers are because I didn't think that there would be any way that we'd be sitting here talking about this team. Maybe they'd lose, but it would be a close hard fought game. 
they got the doors blown off them and they came out flat and they came out in the second half. Like there's no fight here. And I just don't know what Mm. changes you can make. You can't turn the roster over completely in the middle of the season. They tried that. They turned half the roster over in the off season and it's done absolutely nothing. Like it, we're and three again, just like we were last year. The quarterbacks hurt just like he was last year. The quarterbacks are underperforming just like it's the same systemic issues it doesn't matter what names are on the back of the jerseys the performance is always the same so at some point you got to go is it the coaching staff and i'm starting to get to that point now yeah and uh, several times during this game they they pan to orlando Steinhauer on the sidelines and he and i okay so i don't get too upset about this but they were getting their asses whipped and he has a big smile on his face he's laughing it up and maybe you know he needs to stop that. He needs to put his foot down and be like, hey, this is serious business now. He, we're 0-3. Um, like you said, we've been regressing for a couple seasons now. Is there no pressure? Like, does he not feel the pressure yet? He must. Like, I don't know. Orlando's starting to really bother me as the head coach, just his demeanor on the sidelines. And I don't need him to be yelly, screamy type of guy, but, you know, get on them once in a while when they stink. There needs to be some like the most passion we've seen out of him was the halftime interview on TSN after the first game. Right. And, and he, he's like the passion comes out when it's he's talking to the media. Yeah. Like, I, and obviously, I'm not in the locker room. I don't know what's going on, but it just seems to me like maybe he's taking his frustrations out on the wrong people. Maybe that that's a could be a really astute point. It just feels as if. I won't say there's no accountability, and I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna get into the Chris Edwards stuff, obviously, in a little bit, because right. that's, oh boy, okay. Um, but it just feels as if, like I again, you can't just cut guys willy nilly. Like guy has a bad game, you get rid of him. That's not how this works in pro sports. But there seems to be a lack of. I don't want to say passion because everyone who plays and everyone who coaches, they have a passion for it, but it just seems to be some lethargicness, if that's even a word to what's going on with this team. Like it seems as if, and I know this isn't the case, but it seems as if the perception is that no one gives a damn. Like they're getting, they're in their home opener. They they have a, an excellent crowd. That's like at the beginning of that game was just at a fever pitch. And this is the, like, they never come out of game strong. Like, what have they scored? Like a dozen points, 15 points in the first half this year. That to me is a coaching thing. That's a getting guys up thing. That's a preparation thing. Like you're, they're not ready. And I just, I just don't get it. I don't get how this team can be year after year, season after season, this bad at the start. No other teams are like this. Like the Riders made a bunch of changes to their roster. They're two and one. They've got a couple of like th- their win this past weekend was a good win on the road in Calgary. You see teams make changes and it it doesn't affect Montreal. them in the same way. Montreal, perfect, Mon- even better example, even better example. They new head coach, new starting quarterback, lost all this talent. Geno Smith, oh, or not Geno Smith, mm-hmm. like Geno Lewis, Geno mm-hmm. Smith, Jesus Christ, Geno <laughs> Lewis. Oh, he's gone. Who are they going to get to replace him? Oh, here's Austin Mack. Here's a guy they find off the scrap heap and he is out there having hundred yard games, multi- like. That used to be Hamilton. Like never, Hamilton has notoriously started slow, but they always were able to find guys. And I know I said at the beginning of the season that I thought this team was going to start slow. I didn't think that they'd get 
they'd be this bad. Like surrendering over a hundred points in the first three games, losing at home by 26 to an Alouettes team that scored 19 against Ottawa. Like, are we talking about the worst team in the CFL right now? I, cause I think we might be. Yeah. It's, it's, <clears throat> I mean, the Elks are making a good case as well, but man, like it's pretty damn close. It's pretty damn it, close. I think it is. All right. What, what else? I, I, that was my little rant. I just, I, I know a lot of people have been harping on coaches and all that. And I've tried to, you know, stem that tide for as long as I can. But I think we're at the breaking point here where yep. something's got to give. And it's, it's, if it's a coach firing, if it's something along those lines, maybe that that'll shake things up. I don't know if that'll make that, that'll make a big difference in the grand scheme of things, but man, this is another year of the same stuff that we're seeing. And it, it's, you can tell that it's it's wearing on the fan base pretty heavily. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, and you could you could always go to the excuse of all the injuries, but you know the coaches will say next man up, right? So yep. there, there's that's no that's no excuse, and uh, every team deals with injuries. Maybe it seems like we have more year after year, but I'm not sure that's the case. It might just because we focus on the Ticats so much. Yeah, and um, don't get me wrong. This team is dealing with injuries. Like, they lost oh, yeah. their starting quarterback, but he wasn't playing well. You know what I mean? No. Like, it's not as if they lost some guy that was – they didn't lose in his prime Zach Caleros or even in his prime Bo Levi Mitchell. They lost an old, less than effective Bo Levi Mitchell, which is now – that's a concern going forward. Even when he comes back, are you going to be – how are you going to feel about where his level of play could be at? So, mm-hmm. yes, they've lost players. Losing guys on the offensive line always stinks, but those guys weren't playing well. So, like – it's it's easy to point the the finger at injuries, and I do think the Ticats right now have dealt with more injuries than other teams. But that to me is, if that's the excuse every year, then you, your training staff sucks. Like then there's clearly something wrong with the surface you're playing on, or how you're how you are um, your strength and conditioning stuff. Like clearly there's issues there. Then if these guys, no matter who's in the lineup, keeps getting hurt year after year, or maybe you stop relying on guys that are in their mid 30s and you. You, you tear this thing down and maybe you're bad for a year or two. I mean, they're going to be bad now and they spent all this money. So like, what's the difference if they were bad, at least if they're bad and they're developing younger players, you can accept it being bad when you're this veteran heavy, it's almost inexcusable. Yeah. And then one last thing I'll touch on with the coaching and we'll get into it later actually with Chris Edwards, but the discipline problem. I mean, that's, yeah. we, they've been taking stupid penalties the first three games and that's, that's a coaching issue as well. So yeah, something needs to something needs to give there. They need to make adjustments in in some manner. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh Tim White, uh, you know, pretty good game from him, I guess. <laughs> it's my, like, yeah. Especially the first two catches, deep bombs were were nice to see at least. Yeah, I think uh, I think he was one of like three or four guys that I shouted out in my post game piece for three down of just like, here's a list of all the good things that happened in the game, and it was him. It was Duke, who I think Duke's been their best player all year. He had another 100-yard game. He's making tough catches across the middle, not being an attitudinal problem. Like everyone I saw in the wake of the Chris Edwards stuff, and again, we're going to get into that more fully later. Uh, A lot of people are like, oh, you got Duke there as well. Like this thing's a powder keg. And it's like, man, Duke's been nothing but a model citizen. I'm not going to cast aspersions on that guy. I'm not going to lump him in with these other knuckleheads like Edwards just because he has a reputation of doing stupid stuff elsewhere. He's been fantastic here. He's been a good teammate. I've seen him get frustrated a couple of times at practice, but it's more to do with his, his own performance versus yelling at someone else. Like I've never seen him. He's always, he seems to have a good relationship with his teammates and all that other sort of stuff. So 
for him to get a bad rap, I think is unfair. Uh, here, at least, he has been excellent, and I thought he was excellent in this game as well. Uh, what I think there, I think that was it offensively. I think it was just those two guys because, like, I mean, you put up 12 points, it's it's pretty embarrassing. Like that, that the offense should. There, no one, even though we're we're kind of giving Tim White and Duke Williams a little bit of love here, no one on that offense should be anywhere near happy with the performance they put out on Friday. The defense, uh, not so good, Josh. Yeah, it was terrible. I mean, the D-line didn't get pressure. We couldn't cover anybody. You know, it's it's just, it looked pretty ugly out there. Yeah, like, again, I, oh, I know, okay, they 30, 38 points scored on them. I'm aware that 14 of those came pick six by Matt Schiltz, which we didn't even touch on that. Like, those two interceptions he threw were as bad as you'll see. And mm-hmm. the second one looked almost the same as the first one, too, right? Like, it's the same type of throw in the flat to the wide side and it's late. So that's going to the house. The first one was a Siante Evans pick and it's like, just stop throwing it. Couldn't they really use that dude right now in the secondary guy they let go. And maybe they, uh, maybe they shouldn't have, maybe instead of bringing in a guy like Jagera Davis. And I know I've harped on Davis a lot this year, but he's been practically invisible out there. Maybe instead of bringing him in, you spend that coin and, and keep Siante Evans here. Maybe that secondary is a little bit better. The defense though, as a whole man, like it's just, the, like you said, the line gets no pressure. The secondary can't cover. And then the linebackers, it's like you can't even really judge their game because they're kind of dependent on what the guys around them do. You know, like yeah. it's it's not necessarily Simone's fault or or Edwards fault or Thurman's fault that they're not making a bunch of plays. They're just not being put in a position to make plays because the pressure or they have to blitz. And it's I don't know. It, it was it was it was terrible. The defense was terrible. There's just no other way to put it. Yeah, and you bring in a guy like Botang too along the defensive line that didn't pan out as well, and that could have been, you know, I I know that we we liked their strategy going into the season with loading up on the defensive line and and the injuries aren't helping, but uh, yeah, it's just not working out for them. The, this strategy isn't working out for them this no, season, and, and the last year's strategy isn't work didn't work out either with all the DBs. And, so, but what does that tell you? So they switched up what they were doing. So what does that t- that again? That to me goes to coaching. That goes yep. to they're not prepared well enough to deal with this because I'm, I'm, I don't care that they're own three. I don't care that they're getting their tails kicked every week. I stand by my, I think that what they did this off season, loading up on the defensive line and the offensive line was the right strategy. It just looks like they picked the wrong guys. And that's sometimes that happens. But I think if you, if every off season, this team was to be like, we're spending our money. We're doing whatever we can to build up the, the two lines. I would, I would agree with that. A hundred times out of a hundred. That is how you win football games. Canadian talent, good quarterback play, and good play along the lines. You can mask everything else with how many young American receivers do we see come into this league out of nowhere? I mean, there was one in this game on Montreal, Austin Mack, that no one really knew before week one. And now he's had two really good games. So you can find guys elsewhere. You don't have to spend the money there unless you get like the elite of the elite. But look at that. Look, Edmonton spent a bunch of money on receivers and look what that's doing to them. So that's not a strategy that necessarily pays off. You can find DBs. The Ticats are having a hard time doing it, but they've done it in the past. Delvin Bro was an unknown, came into the league, became one of the best cover corners in the league. So you can find guys in other positions. You can find linebackers. It's if if this team every offseason is going to say we're going to focus on the trenches, I would support that 100 times out of 100. It just so happens that they put their faith in the wrong guys this year when they did that. And unfortunately, that's just the way it went. So the special teams, 
Oh, Mark Leggio. Covering... He he kicked all four of his field goals. That was another. Yeah, I mean, the Mark Leggio looked good, and uh, you know that was nice to see because we don't know what's going on with Seth Small, so we could have Mark Leggio for for quite a while here. Maybe who knows? Maybe even the rest of the season, uh, depending on what happens with Small. Um, but he looked good. The coverage units uh, not so great in this one. They let up uh, or they let a uh, return touchdown happen. Uh, questionable non-call though. Yeah, a block I, in the I was, back. I don't know how they missed that call. They didn't miss the call. They said he was pushed into the five-yard halo, but didn't like. That's what I don't get. I don't get how you can say we're picking up the flag for no yards because he was blocked into the into the five-yard safety zone, but then not go, well, he was blocked in from behind, and therefore it's an illegal block. Mm-hmm. And the return. that's what I don't know. Like, it was so inconsistent with, like, and we were watching it. We saw the fight. We saw the flag go up, and it's all, we're all kind of like, okay, they're going to, like, that, that. that's not for the five yards. That's for the block in the back. And then, you know, you kind of see the players milling about, and then all of a sudden it's, there is no no-yards flag touchdown it's like huh like how again i harping on the refs blaming the refs quote unquote it's not what we're here to do that was as bad of a missed call as i've seen in this game in quite some time and we've seen some pretty blatant missed calls but that i just don't know how you can have that play play out and not realize that that was a block in the back i just don't get it yeah neither do i and You'd think the command setter would get involved in some way, but uh, yeah, it didn't happen. Obviously not the reason why we lost, but a, a glaring missed call on that one. Yeah, and what happens in that situation? Because <clears throat> that happened, the Ticats are up 6 nothing. That return kind of sparks the Owls. I'm sure the Owls still win this game just based on how poorly the Ticats played the rest of the way. But what if that return doesn't count and Montreal punts the ball there and they don't score like – it's a sliding doors kind of thing. Like the, the game doesn't play out the exact same post that if that doesn't happen, you know what I mean? Like everything else mm-hmm. changes to me. It was just, it was one of the more egregious missed calls that we've seen this year. And it kind of is starting to become a pattern with the refs this year. Like I've seen some, some pretty bad calls by them. And, and the other thing with the refs, and this is going into other games, like they'll pick up flags for things they did it twice in the Riders game where they say like, oh, there's no penalty on this play, but they don't explain what the penalty, like what was the penalty supposed to be that you then said is not a penalty. You know what I mean? Like I'm just, I'm feeling like the refereeing in this league is being less transparent. And I think that's because the league probably realizes that the guys aren't as good as they're supposed to be, you know? And this, and this, this one here is a kind of a prime example of like how you miss this, how there's no command center call, like you said, to, to reverse this when the command center seems to be getting involved in reversing a ton of other things. The, like we've seen it a couple of times roughing the passer where, the, where they'll come in and, and say, no, it's not roughing the passer instead of a coach having to challenge. I just don't get how there's not a mechanism in place to make sure these types, because that's a, that's a big play. That was a big turning point in this game. And it was, it shouldn't have happened as far as I'm concerned. Now, the, the ugliness at the end of the game, I guess we'll get into now. Uh, Chris Edwards, you know, with just a cowardly move, goes in for a handshake with uh, Mac and then ends up shoving him to the ground. Just uh, an ugly display from Chris Edwards. Just stupid. Like, it's... I'm not going to defend Chris Edwards here because that's... There's no defense of this. This is... 
well be above and beyond what you're supposed to do. This is cowardly. It's it's clownish. It's you're a punk if you do this type of thing. Seeing some of the vitriol though, like he should be out of the league. Like this has no place in this league. It's like guys, girls, how long you've been watching this league? There's been a lot worse stuff that's happened on the field of play than this. This is unacceptable. This is. He she, she will definitely get fined. I wouldn't even be opposed to a suspension for something like this. Like, you just don't want this as part of your your football team. But people calling for him to lose his job or be banned from the league, it's like, that's, you, now you're going a little too far for my liking. If the Ticats released him, I wouldn't be upset. Uh, but if another people picked him up, I wouldn't, like, I saw some people compare this to the Garrett Marino stuff, and it's like, it's not the same thing. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's levels to this. And, and as bad as this was, and as unacceptable as this was, this is not like toss him out of the league and never hear from him again. But like I said, if it, I think he should get suspended. I kind of hope he does get suspended. Uh, if the Ticats release him, I'm okay with that as well. But to say that he should be banned from the league for something like this, like to me, that's overkill. Yeah. Banning someone from a league, it has to be something crazy over the top. You know what I mean? Like it, it's not the same as Garrett Marino. Uh, it was a cr- incredibly unsportsmanlike thing to do and it, it, it shouldn't have happened. And you know, it embarrasses the team. It embarrasses the franchise, all that stuff. It's terrible. And I agree if, if they release him today or tomorrow, I, I, I won't care. And I think there should be at least a one game or two game suspension for this because it's just, it, it, it's it's something you don't want to see from professional athletes. So I'm with you. I don't want to see him get banned or necessarily lose his job or not be able to get another one if he's released, but just incredibly ugly thing to do on the field when you're a professional athlete. Like, come on, you have to be better than that. Well, I mean, like show that passion between the lines when the whistle, like when the clock's playing, you know what I mean? Like you showed more fight in that post game altercation than you pretty much did all game. Like, I don't, I, I just, I see this sorts of stuff and it, it, again, it goes to, you talk about discipline earlier. Like this is a discipline thing. Like, and I know that Edwards has a history. Obviously we're well aware of what he did post East final in 2021. You knew what you were getting when you were getting into the Chris Edwards business. There's a lot of Ticat fans that refused to accept him as a member of the team. Didn't want him here. And I, I totally understand that he's a good player. He's a talented player, but at some point the headaches become, too much compared to the talent on the field. We see that all Deron Carter's not in the league anymore for a lot less than this, because what he brought to the team from a talent perspective did not equal or was greater than what he brought from an off field kind of morale type thing. Chris Edwards still looks like he's a, he's a top player in this league. He, he had been up to this point, one of the players on the defense that I think was most worthy of praise, but it's hard to, it's hard to reconcile cheering for someone like this when you know that they have this just goonish unsportsmanlike behavior in there. And I get, you know, they, they battle for 60 minutes and, and tempers get hot and all that other sorts of thing. But the game's over. If you don't want to shake the guy's hand, don't shake his hand. Like I don't give a crap about post game handshakes. Like I hated it when I was a kid and played sports. Like I thought like, I don't like these guys. Like, I just elbowed that guy in the mush when we were in the post in a basketball game. And then he called my mother and like, I don't want to shake this guy's hand. And I get the reasoning for it. And it's just, that's what you do. But 
at the professional level, if you don't want to shake a guy's hand, don't shake a guy's hand. Are, are you mad that Austin Mack just like ripped your defense a new asshole? Like mm-hmm. it's not his fault. You guys can't cover. It's not his fault that Richard Leonard decides to, instead of wrapping someone up, decides to throw himself like a missile at him and he bounces off him like a bullet off the Hulk's chest and he waltzes into the end zone. Like, I just don't understand the the mentality that it takes to do something like this at this level. You want to wa- just walk away, go your go into your locker room, calm a MF or, you know, if you're mad at him or for whatever reason, like cuss him out and then bugger off. And then who cares? I just, it just, it just, it's out of place. It's, it's unnecessary. It's stupid. It's whatever pejorative you can use. We can throw on this. It was, it was ugly, dumb, everything you can name. I just, I mean, kind of a perfect ending to what was maybe one of the worst games we've seen from this team in quite some time. Yeah, that's a perfect bow to put on this one. So I guess we'll move on to uh, the more CFL related We're going to play our game then. We're going to have a little fun now that we've gotten this out of our system. Because there really isn't a whole lot else left to talk about this game. It was just just bad. So let's let's bring the vibes up a little bit. We're going to have some fun. Obviously, there's not no Ticats news to talk about. The team's on their first bye week of the season. I did see some tweets from some fans being like, they better not be taking time off. They better be on the practice field. Like, that's not how this works, guys. Like, these bye weeks are, they can't practice. They're not allowed to practice while they're on their bye week. So I get the frustration out there. But let's, these guys have a collective bargaining agreement for a reason. And this is one of the things they get. They get three weeks off a year. And I don't think that's a problem. Maybe getting all these guys getting a chance to get away might actually clear everyone's head. Maybe they come back more focused. They got some very winnable games coming up, Mike. Like, I don't know if you looked at their upcoming schedule, but between now and I think they, I think it's the week before Labor Day. It's like they got another game against Montreal here in Hamilton, I believe it is. They got two games against Ottawa, two games against Edmonton. And I know that the Ticats stink right now or are in that Edmonton-Ottawa group. You look at those games that this team can get right with the talent here. Maybe we're heading into Labor Day at around 500 and we're have where everyone's a little bit better. But you know what I mean? Like this, it's not as if they're coming up against a gauntlet of Winnipeg and Saskatchewan and Toronto a bunch of times in the next few weeks. There's some winnable games here, don't you think? You look at those teams and you're right. We should get some wins out of this next stretch. But if we don't. It's gonna be like we're we're looking at a pretty bad record going into the halfway point, right? So we're we're gonna have to pick up our pull up our socks and get some wins out of this next you know five or six game stretch because if we don't, the season could be over real quick. For sure, we're gonna find out very quickly after this bye week if this team is more in the middle tier of this league in 2023 or if they belong with the Edmontons and the Ottawa's at the bottom where they currently reside. So next month and a bit, we'll, we'll be very telling with that. All right, let's now jump into the game. We're going to play fill in the blank. Let's start with the Alouettes. The Montreal Alouettes debuted new alternate uniforms last week. The team has opted to go with an almost all red look that they say harkens back to the uniforms of the team's founding back in 1946 We've seen a lot of new uniforms this season, ranging from the good, like Calgary's, to the bad, like Toronto's. So, Mike, the Montreal Alouettes' new alternate uniforms are blank. Very nice. I I, I like them a lot. It uh, it's a nice change from the mostly blue. You know, they have mostly blue and then a little bit of red and and white in there. But I like the all red ones, and uh, I wouldn't necessarily like them if they're wearing them on a regular basis, but to switch it up every once in a while, uh, I'm, I'm down with that. I like them and I don't like them. Like there, I think it's a, it's a good look to see them go with the red. It's just a lot of red. 
You know what I mean? Like I maybe some some switching it up a little bit with maybe blue pants and a red top. I don't know. I just I don't like the Argos all one color look. I don't love the tie cats even when they go all one color. Uh, I don't like the all whites. I don't love the all blacks. Although the all blacks can't like when they do the blackout games, like if it was a special occasion, like we're doing these once for this to celebrate this. Okay. I guess you can kind of get over it. It just looks like an awful lot of red, but I do think that they're of the ones we've seen this year, the new ones we've seen this year. I do think that they're, they're amongst the best. So I like them and, and don't like them at the same time. Mixed bag for me is the best way to put it. All right. 2019 most outstanding player. Brandon Banks was back in Hamilton over the weekend as the team made him their alumni of distinction for Friday's home opener. Banks went on AM 900 CHML and told Rick Zamprin that he is not retiring and that he is open to returning to the league in the right situation, but that, and I quote, everyone knows where I want to be, severely hinting that he wants to play for the Tiger Cats if he was to come back to the CFL. Mike, you've been a pretty negative Nelly when it comes to Speedy B over the last couple of years. His possibly returning to the Thai Cats for you would be blank. It'd be a big pass for me. Um, I don't want this guy on this team. You know, there's already enough problems with this team and his play on the field. Uh, it isn't at the the top end where you can kind of like, I don't know if he's a he's a bad guy in the locker room or anything like that, but it just seems like I, I he's a character I don't want on this team and his play on the field isn't at that top end level to justify bringing in a guy like him. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a big time pass on this one. Yeah. I'm going to say a step in the wrong direction. I understand what many fans think of, of speedy B he's a legend here for a lot of people. We still get comments on the Podskiwiwi Twitter account, people mentioning, Oh, they should never let banks go and they should bring him back. And, so for those guys, I mean, we still, I still see tweets of people saying bring Dave Stalla back and he's been retired for like a decade, <laughs> for like a decade and he's in his like mid forties. I get that people are going to want him back nostalgic reasons, but he wasn't great with the Argos last year. He wasn't great in his last year with the cats. He's not that player. He was in 2019 and we, we need to stop looking back at 2019 and going, well, let's just get the band back together. Those guys are now almost a half a decade older 2019 was a lot longer ago than you realize. Mm-hmm. I, I, he, I, I do know that a vast majority of this fan base would be doing backflips if he came back, but I don't think he, he fixes any needs. This, this team doesn't need receivers. What, what, who do you take out of the lineup to throw him in? Terry Godwin, I guess he replaces because Godwin hasn't been great, but Godwin's playing the field side or the, the boundary side receiver. That's not where speedy played. Like he was a slot guy. So do you move Duke over there? Duke's been too good. You don't move Tim White over there. Like, I just don't know where the fit is for him to come back unless he wanted to just do special teams, I guess, and you just you take Lawrence. But does he still have the speed? I, I know that there's going to be a lot – probably a lot of people are going to listen to this. They're going to be like, you're out of your mind. You sh- they should absolutely bring him back. I just think it's – they got to – they got to look to the future and, and stop looking to the past. Yeah. So I just don't – I just don't think this would be the right move. And I also don't think that he's going to take chump change to come in here, right? Like he complains on Twitter like about offers and all that stuff. So I just think he would want to get paid healthy. And uh, I don't think he's worth that. So, yeah. And I do wonder what goes through his head sometimes. Like you see, you hear things like this. Like is he pandering to the media in Hamilton that and the fans in Hamilton that that aren't online? 
because you see what he what he says on in in, in social media and on those platforms and it's like you say it all the time like brandon who because he says like i want people to forget me and it's mm-hmm. i didn't like it it's it, i don't know if he's got like bipolar issues or something or if he's just sometimes he doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut or he's just he's unfiltered or however you want to call it but he it seems as if he's got these two personas here that mm-hmm. don't entirely line up right yeah it's, it's very different from his his twitter persona which is always uh it seemed to be a negative slant towards the league or the country or, or the city of hamilton so i it, it's a bit of a head scratcher maybe he regrets saying some of those things on Twitter and now wants to come back. And I don't know, man, he, he's a bit of a conundrum to me. I, I can't understand him. Yeah. He wants to be forgotten, but at the same time, it seems like he still wants to be loved. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very bizarre, very bizarre. All right. Anyone who listens to this show knows that both Mike and I have a healthy skepticism of Argos quarterback, Chad Kelly. I don't think either of us will deny that he has looked pretty good so far this season, but I think neither of us are really prepared to anoint him until we see more him play more quite frankly however mike it seems that we are in the minority on this as before this past week's game tsn's dave naylor said that chad kelly was the most important player in the canadian football league we have seen a lot of takes in our day from rookie williams will dominate the cfl back when he played for the argos to johnny manzel will lead the tie cats to a gray cup to everything in between but this this take by naylor seems to have ruffled quite a few feathers of, of fans across the league and Honestly, us as well, I believe. So, Mike, Naylor calling Kelly the most important player in the league is blank. Very premature. Now, listen, I I understand why everyone's so excited about Chad Kelly. You know, he could be a very good quarterback for the Toronto Argonauts and, and maybe he breathes some life into that franchise. So I believe that's why people are calling him, you know, the most important player in the league. But it, it's just ridiculous. He's played two games. He's looked pretty good. But we can't go overboard with this stuff, right? And that, we already are. We're already going overboard. So, like you, I need to see more of this guy. And he's he's not even in the top three yet as, the like, one of the best quarterbacks in this league. So, we should just pump the brakes a little bit on the Chad Kelly hype, in my opinion. This is pandering at its worst. Can we go back to the offseason and see what Chad Kelly said about his future in the Canadian Football League? He wants to use this as a springboard to get back to the NFL. I do not blame him for that. I I think every player wants to do that. He does not want to be here. So Mm -hmm. how can you label someone the most important player if he's made it very clear that at the first opportunity, he will bolt to go back south? And again, like I said, I'm not blaming him for that. To me, important players are guys that are foundational pieces that you can, if the league ever had a marketing arm that was worth a damn, that you could market as the face of the league. If you were to market Chad Kelly as the face of the league and then watch him leave to go play for one of the 32 teams in the NFL, you then look like a complete buffoon by like throwing all your marketing weight behind him. It's also, like you said, incredibly premature. And this came on the heels of a fine performance against the Ticats. He, I think he was a little bit better against the Elks, his passing number. He was, he was a better passer, but he had some rushing touchdowns. And I get the, the, the premise of the idea is if Chad Kelly can be a bona fide star in Toronto, it could help bolster the Argos. 
I just don't believe it. I don't think there's anything, any player, any anything, and this is just me being honest, that can change the fortunes of the Argos in Toronto. They are in the pecking order where they're in, and that's not going to change. They're never going to come close to the Leafs or the Raptors or the Jays. And quite frankly, they're probably behind TFC right now in importance, despite the fact that TFC is an awful team, whereas the Argos are clearly not. The idea that a player like Chad Kelly, who was uh, last round of the draft pick, who, sure, he's got some DNA in him from from a time when a lot of his uncle's Jim Kelly, who was big in the 90s, who men and women who followed that Bills team are now in their 40s to 70s. It's not as if that's the demographic they're going to be going after. I don't think he has a ton of personality. He he's like he says a lot of stuff, but I'm not necessarily certain it's very entertaining. He doesn't want to be here, and I just don't think that there's any player short of like Tom Brady, you know, like I'm talking like super superstar that goes and quarterbacks Patrick the Mahomes, Argos. Some yeah. yeah, yeah, that's not going to change the fortunes of the Argos in the Toronto sports landscape. It's just not, and I think the sooner everyone accepts it, and I get that, you know. Because there was some there's some backlash to my my thoughts on this when I posted them online that oh you're just mad because they're promoting a player and it's I'm all for promotion promote Chad Kelly be oh Chad Kelly's doing this Chad Kelly's doing that get him out there I get it it's the over the top the hyperbolic the premature anointing of him as this CFL savior that in a year's time if he's as good as everyone proclaims he's not going to be here next year at this time. And then every, and then and then what? We're scrambling around looking for the next guy to save football in Toronto. I just don't mm-hmm. buy the fact that Kelly or anyone short of the superstar of superstar players in football is going to move the needle when it comes to the Argos in Toronto. That's just uh, it's an it's an unfortunate reality, but it is the reality in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. It's uh, it's it's just tough to get people out to the stands um, in Toronto. You know, you back in the Doug Flutie days when they were dominating. They didn't get huge crowds to the Sky Dome. They probably got like twenty in the twenty thousand range, which is better what they do now. But I mean, he was like the biggest star ever in the CFL, and it didn't. And really he draw was a legit. Crowds. He was a legit. Yeah. Like yep. he was a guy that you did see marketing around. He was a guy that they did put out there. That was it. Was a time when the league was in a lot of financial trouble, but he was a legitimate star player. And they moved him to Toronto, and we all know the mm-hmm. you know league's machinations behind the scenes to make that happen and, and what happened in Calgary and all that stuff didn't make a bit of difference. You know what I mean? Like, no. like you said, crowds weren't over the top plentiful. He leaves after two years and they go back to being who they like. I, I honestly, and I, I, we're saying this about Toronto, but I'll say this about, I don't think that there's the CFL I think is in the position that it's in. And I think this is where the league is going to be. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. think that there's yeah. any, and I'm not saying that the league shouldn't try stuff to get bigger to, you know, I, I understand that. I just think that given where we're at in society today with sports, I just don't think the CFL will ever be bigger than it is right now. Personally, I am fine with that. I am fine with it existing. I am fine with it being a somewhat profitable endeavor because I just don't want, I don't want it to go away. Like I always want to see it. It doesn't necessarily have to thrive for me. It just needs to be mm. enough to warrant keeping it around. But I just don't think that yep. the idea that this will ever be a global phenomenon. I, 
I just don't see it. I just don't. No, me neither. It's it's a Cana- Canadian thing, and that's what it all would be. And, and like you said, okay. and that's fine. Yeah, that's okay. It's uniquely like, I don't, Canadian. That's fine. But why can't we just be happy about the stuff that we have that's ours? Why does it have to be like? Why are we always looking for um, like? justification for the things we like from from other places around the world most notably the united states like why is it always oh look at this guy that made it down there and we, we're so proud of him and, and i and i get that you know the national pride and all that stuff but like why do we always have to look to someone else for our own worth like the cfl is a great league it's a fun brand of football i enjoy watching it hundreds of thousands of people enjoy watching it why why does it need to be i mean i i understand it need, why the league wants it to be more than what it is right now and like i said i'm totally in favor of do, them doing whatever they can to to grow the game i just know that from 30 plus years of watching this it's it is what it is and if and the sooner the majority of fans accept that i think the more enjoyment you will get out of the game when you're not sitting here because how many discussions do we have year in year out about attendance in Vancouver or attendance in Toronto or the it's tiresome. Like you don't hear that in any other sport. And like everyone always talks about like, we have to worry about these things because the C Oh, if this doesn't work, the CFL could, the CFL has been around for how long and it's never gone out of business. It's ne- like we had the pandemic, which was supposed to be the death knell for the league. They're still around. You know what I mean? Like maybe one day this all mm-hmm. comes crumbling down and we don't have a Canadian football league to talk about. And that will be a really sad day. But this idea that we need to keep focusing on building up the big cities like Toronto with hyperbolic statements like their star quarterback, who's not even a star yet, is the most important player in the league. It's it's not going to make a difference. And I just don't understand why we keep doing it and why we keep worrying about it. Let's just focus on the product on the field and and be happy with it. You know what I mean? I mean, the owners should be the ones that are worrying, worrying about it in Toronto. Like, we shouldn't have to give a crap. Like, it's it's, it's, a, it's a CFL phenomenon. It doesn't really happen in, in other leagues. Uh, you know, the the big four, the, the, you know, Philadelphia Eagles fans aren't worried about the attendance at LA Chargers games or anything like that. So, yeah, no. I agree. We need to just, you know, keep pushing forward. That's just it. It's like MLSE, we just, Larry Tannenbaum was going to sell his stake in some parts of a stake in a company that's valued at over $8 billion. The Argos losses on that. That's a rounding error for a company as big mm-hmm. as MLSE. If, if they, if they sell them, if they get rid of them, okay, maybe then we have to have a discussion about concern until then. I just don't, I, I don't, I don't care about it anymore. I can't care about it anymore because it's been the same stuff we've been hearing now for what, 30 years, almost seems like every year it's like, Oh, if this doesn't get right, the league could be in trouble. Well, the league's been in trouble the entire time I've been watching it, and I've been watching it now for the vast majority of my life. So I don't know. But anyway, to get it on to Kelly, to me, the idea that he's the most important player in the league is it's it's nonsense. But let's move on. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders and their head coach, Craig Dickinson, he is taking some heat for going forward on third and one instead of kicking the field goal with about a minute left in Saturday's game between the Riders and the Calgary Stampeders. Saskatchewan were up by three at the time, and a successful field goal would have pushed that lead to six. Instead, the Riders went for the first down and backup quarterback Shea Patterson was stuffed. The Stamps got the ball and marched down the field to tie the game. The Riders would eventually prevail in overtime, but many people think had Dickinson kicked the field goal and gone up by six, that they would have won the game in regulation. So, Mike, 
Dickinson's decision to go for it on third and one that late in the game in that deep of the territory was blank. I think he's wrong in this situation. Uh, you know, I like coaches being aggressive and everything, but the way that, you know, Jake Mayer has been playing lately and this Calgary Stampeders offense has been playing, it's, uh, you know, getting into field goal range is a lot different from scoring a touchdown. So I think you take the points in that situation, go up by six and trust your defense. It was playing to win the game. You get the first down there. It is game over. They drove down the field to get the field goal. You do a kickoff. They probably get the ball a lot closer. Who's to say they don't drive down to get the touchdown. It was playing to win the game. It was aggressive. I agree with it. I will agree with that call a hundred times out of a hundred I've said that a number of times today, and I really think, really wish I could think of a better, a better way to put that than just repeating the same phrase over and over again. Taking the points to me is why put the ball in the offense's hand when you can end the game right then, right there. I'm also glad, from a gambling perspective, that they did not because Trevor Harrison ended up getting us the necessary yards right. that we needed to yes. hit that over passing yards prop in overtime, but. I, I like the aggressiveness. I like when coaches are not afraid to make a call to win a game. They kick the field goal, they go up by six. What are we, are we, are we talking about it being the right call? If then Jake Mayer does, cause he drove them down pretty quickly to get them into field goal range. And it took a 50 something yard field goal for Renee Paradis to send it to overtime. But if Jake Mayer goes down and does throw the game winning touchdown and the Stamps do win that game, are we sitting here killing Dickinson for kicking that field for taking the points, but they still lost by one. To me, the, the more egregious decision by Dickinson was going for two when they were up 10. I understand somewhat the thought process behind that by, oh, we get two here, we're up by 12. It's a three score, well, it's a two score game, but it's a two touchdown game versus if we go up by 11, then it's a two score game where a touchdown, two point convert and fuel. I still would have kicked the extra point there. And I'm Mr. Always go for two, but in that scenario, mm -hmm. I think you kick the extra point, you go up by 11 because then you need them to get a field goal and a touchdown and a two-point convert. You still need them to score three times versus going up by 12, and they just need to score twice. So I that, to me, is the more egregious of the two calls, in my opinion, that I would have taken back. This one, though, I like this. Because, again, if they get the first down, it, we're not having this conversation because they're kneeling it out and they win the game. If they kick the field goal, like there, there are so many other scenarios that could have happened here because I think people are looking at this from, well, if they kick the field goal and the stamps got to drive 90 yards for a touchdown, no, they would have had the ball at their own 35 or maybe even their own 40. And now you're talking a lot easier. They drove from their own, what, 10 yard line, eight yard line to get past midfield in, in under a minute. Who say they couldn't have driven for a touchdown. I understand your point about Jake Mayer wasn't playing very well and hasn't played very well at all this year. I don't know. I just feel like the football gods might have frowned down on Dickinson had he kicked the field goal there, had he taken the points, as everyone likes to say. I don't know. I like the aggressiveness there. I'm not going to fault him. It, it didn't work out, but it ultimately worked out because they won the game. It didn't work out in that scenario, but I still think I still think it was the right call, at least for me. All right, last one here, Mike. We're sticking with the Stampeders game, and kicker Renee Paradis kicked his 500th career field goal in Calgary's loss on Saturday. Many in the wake of that feat started calling him the greatest kicker in CFL history with fans and players alike weighing in. So, Mike, Renee Paradis being considered by some as the greatest kicker in the history of the Canadian Football League is blank. Is incorrect. Um, uh, when I think of the greatest kickers of all time in this league, I think of guys like Justin Medlock and guys like Dave Ridgway and Paul Baldiston. I know if you look at those 
guys' numbers um, percentage-wise. It won't add up to the modern-day kickers. But to me, those are some of the best kickers of all time. And, uh, you know, Paradise is up there, but I wouldn't call him the greatest of all time by any stretch. No, it's wrong. The greatest kicker in CFL history is just a medlock, and I'm not debating this. And here's the thing, though, that this sparked. So uh, Derek Dennis, obviously he was a teammate of of Paradise's in Calgary a number of times. It did. It did, There were older fans who, like, it came up, he's the greatest ever. It's not up for debate. One of the people that out in Calgary that we do not discuss because we do not like him, one of the reporters out there, had made that. And then people got on him. It's like, what about these guys? And they're guys you mentioned. Louis Pisaglia, Paul Ma- Paul McCallum, Paul Osbaldiston, Troy Westwood, Dave Ridgway, guys like that. They were all brought up. And it kind of brought this thing like, oh, this is a debate. Like, And then Derek Dennis comes in and goes, he's my GOAT kicker. And this is sort of a subject that I've seen come up in the U.S. a lot recently because Brandon Miller, who was drafted second overall in the NBA draft, said that LeBron wasn't the GOAT, but the GOAT to him was Paul George. And I... Obviously, Mike, you know a lot about basketball. You watch it probably more than I do. No one considers Paul George to be the greatest player of all time. That's a ludicrous statement. Has the term GOAT just become a catch-all now for this is one of my favorite players? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like Because now it's like anyone can be a GOAT. Has it kind of lost all meaning, that phrase? Because it certainly seems as if now it's just – well, he if he's he's my goat. He's your greatest of all time, but you're yeah. but you're not like I just feel as if that I mean, I hate the term goat anyway. And I and I I think we've talked about on the show. I kind of hate the idea that we try so hard to judge players against each other from other areas, because you're right. Like if you look at the numbers from some of those kickers from the 80s and b- before kind of the modern era of kicking where it became like 85 to 95 percent was like that's a good year. Anything under that and you're horrible. I think Ozzy's got something like a 77 mm-hmm. career. His best year was 82%. His and, best and year that, was 82%. And that would probably be seventh, eighth or ninth in the league after the end of this year. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it was a different game. Kickers are different things, but Ozzy has the kick in 98. It's something we remember. Yep. Mark McLaughlin, another Stampede, great Stampeders kicker. Won them the Grey Cup the week later on a field goal at the end of the game. Maybe the numbers aren't there. I do believe that it's just a medlock is the best. I think his range, his consistency. Yeah. I I just don't think I've seen anyone do it better than him. I've seen the argument for Paradise. Obviously, I think he's in the top 10, probably in the top five. But this idea that we have to judge people on errors, it's it's just a different game. I mean, Danny McManus threw more interceptions than he threw touchdown passes, and he's in the Hall of Fame. We look at mm-hmm. quarterbacks nowadays, and if they throw – 10 to 12 interceptions versus, you know, 28 touchdown passes. You're like, well, that wasn't a great year. It's like, geez, the standards have definitely changed over the years. And that's perfectly fine. I just don't like the idea that we compare guys from different eras when the games are so drastically different. And I just wonder if the, the, the idea of someone being the greatest ever has just kind of lost all meaning because it seems as if, if Paul George can be my goat and Renee Paradis can be my goat, the, the whole term has just, it's, it's yeah. meaningless now, is it not? They need to change it up to say, this is my favorite player. You know, yeah, it's like the they, they don't know what the, the goat best, or... words. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it does, they don't know what the word goat means anymore. There's like, 
it just lost all its meaning apparently like it's not greatest of all time it's just goat now it's just like my favorite guy right so <clears throat> yeah it's it's definitely a term that's been beaten into the ground over the years uh, online and you know uh, on the tv shows discussing sports and all that stuff yeah it's definitely lost like i said lost all meaning it's i don't even know i don't know i just don't know anymore i again i'm not taking anything away from paradise 500 career field goals is a hell of a feat he's been sensational in his career if you want to make the argument that he's the best ever I'll, I'll hear it for sure i don't necessarily agree but i think we're just twisting the definite like you said it's just it's been beaten into the ground it's lost all meaning it's mm-hmm. it is what it is but uh i mean look at 500 field goals is a hell of a feat i'll give him that much yep that's uh that's all for this week. Like I said, not a ton to discuss this week because the Ticats are on their bye. But before we get out of here, do not forget that we are also still rolling out tons of content over on Patreon. Mike, I believe you're working on another edition of your Podski Wawa show, if I'm not mistaken, for this week. Yes, absolutely. I got some bozos to hand out. Uh, I got a lot of exciting stuff for this show coming up this week. I got a lot of problems. I thought you were going to go, I got a lot of problems with you people, and I'm gonna, you're going to hear about <laughs> it. We put out perhaps our most lucrative gambling show this past week. We gave out a ton of winners, so we'll be back doing that again. Not necessarily game picks. We were we were mediocre on game picks, but our prop bets, quite a few of them came in. So that was it was a good week for us on the gambling show this week. We're gonna have another one of those this week. We got a ton of other things planned in the future, fun stuff. So if you want even more Tie Cats content, more CFL content, head on over there at just nine dollars a month for our top tier where you get everything that we're gonna do. I don't think you'll find any better value on the internet when it comes to Ticats content, when it comes to CFL content. I think we're crushing it over there. I think testimonials from people that have already signed up, I think that they would agree. I, I don't like to toot my own horn, but toot toot. I think we're doing some really good work over there. Uh, I don't think I'm going to have any Ticats shows this week simply because they're on a buy. So not, I, I'm not, I won't be heading down to practice this week to give you the inside scoop of what's going on. But we've got a ton of fun stuff planned for the week and, and for the rest of the year. So please, if you... If you feel the need for more Ty Cats in your life, more Podski, we more Mike or myself in your life, head on over there and we'll we'll hook you up. But that was Podski Weaver for this week, and I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat 'em raw. Eat 'em raw. <laughs> <laughs>